Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Weaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni Steam herb blends for a variety of different conditions. You can read specifically about all of the ingredients that are in the herbal blends, what you would use them for, and some specifics about the days of your cycle that you would use the herbs. There's also a video for an at-home steaming guide so that you can feel confident that you know what you're doing before you embark on this journey. But if you also don't feel so comfortable just starting on your own, you can also sign up for a consult with me, which is also available at the shop. So go ahead and check out rosebudwellness.com shop. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Um, I'm super excited about this episode um, today with my guest, Tabitha Farrar. She is somebody that I only recently became aware of, but she has been so helpful to listen to um, and read. Um, she has a few books and she also has a YouTube channel and did have a podcast of her own um, that she has recently stopped doing, but there's a lot still available um, from over the years. She has a bunch of episodes. And she focuses on eating disorder recovery, which is very close to my own heart as a person that is in recovery from eating disorder. And she particularly lately has started focusing more on the postpartum period, um, which has been really helpful for me to learn more about. Um, I can't speak to the experience of not nursing. Um, and so this isn't a judgment about anybody and the way that they choose to feed their baby, whatever works best for anybody, um, baby, mama, family, whatever, um, is totally cool. I'm just speaking to my own personal experience. Um, breastfeeding has been a huge energy expenditure on my body as well as pregnancy. So anybody that goes through pregnancy, no matter what the birth looks like, um, it's actually even more so important to recover your nutrients if you've had any sort of, of a traumatic birth or if you had a very long labor or any sort of tearing and things like that to help get your body back into balance and feeling well again. Um, it's a very important time postpartum, particularly the first three months, which some people will refer to as the fourth trimester. Um, that time it's really crucial to make sure that you're building yourself back up. And as someone who has a 17 month old who is in this running around toddler phase where um, I'm expending a lot of energy chasing her around and picking her up and getting her out of danger's way. Um, so it's just a whole new thing when you become a mother. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of variability depending on the 
um, the type of child that you have and what their personality is like and, and all of that. But um, it's just really, it was really interesting to chat with her um, about how moms navigate this new role of being a mom and the body changes that come during pregnancy and then certainly postpartum as well and um, how that impacts their recovery. So really great for me personally to talk with her. Um, I hope other people can benefit from hearing this too. I think that even in the absence of having a, a specific eating disorder, we are all inundated with diet culture perspectives. Um, so maybe there will be some similar messages in this episode as there were with my episode with Erica Beal, which I also found really eye-opening um, and useful personally. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Tabitha. And as I say every time, please use the coupon code if you would like to purchase some steaming herbs. Um, and also for a consultation, you can use the coupon code as well for 10% off your first order. And the coupon code is WOMB, W-O-M-B. And please also join us over at our Facebook group community. It's called the Womb Wisdom Community. And um, there's lots of great people in there. Um, we'll be having some more conversations soon. Um, and for now, I'm posting all of the episodes there every week as they're released. Um, so that can be another way to ensure that you don't miss any episodes as they're published. All right, please enjoy. All right, welcome back, everybody, um, to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. I am here today with Tabitha Farrar. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. You are. Um, she is an eating disorder recovery coach. And just correct me if there's, while I'm introducing you, if there's anything that I'm saying that's incorrect. Um, I know that you do other things too. Um, mm -hmm. I'm also a horseback rider too. I, I know Excellent. that's kind of your main thing, um, which is really cool. Um, but I wanted to have her on because I heard her on another podcast talking about specifically the energy demands, meaning basically food intake and how that shifts uh, both through pregnancy and then also especially in the postpartum phase. Um, and she'll talk more specifically to this too, but um, with breastfeeding, for example, which I've had personal experience with kind of being shocked by how much that takes out of you. And then also just in terms of like tissue repair and recovery after childbirth. Um, and then the demands, of course, of having a baby. And it kind of only becomes more demanding as they get older. I have a 17 month old, so I'm uh, right in the thick of it. So welcome, Tabitha. Thank you Hi. for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. So um, we were just talking a little bit off air, so I thought it would be kind of a fun place to start. Um, Tabitha is not a mama, although she works with mamas. Um, I'm just curious to hear about your experience of deciding not to become a mom yourself and kind of the liberation that you felt um, in making that decision for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so I, I've never felt that I wanted to have children. And as a 10 year old, I would tell people that and everybody would tell me, oh, you'll change, just you wait, you'll change. I kind of knew I wouldn't, but anyway, they always say that you'll change. And then um, as a, a life moved on, recovered from my eating disorder, got, got married. And um, I just felt this sort of, it was this inevitable. It was my, it was my doom almost. <laughs> 
was just, it was something, that's what happens, isn't it? You get married, then you have children. Well, you get married, you buy a house, you have children, preferably. Um, and so I just, it would be never really spoke about it. I just assumed that was something that we would have to do. And both my mother-in-law and my mother were really pushing for it they were really gearing up for it and um it I just remember one day my husband and I actually had a conversation about it and we both realized that neither of us actually wanted to do that and the sense of relief and just it was it was like a, a door opening that I, I I don't have to do that is that possible is it possible I could just not do it we just don't have to do it and we just decided we weren't going to do it and absolutely haven't looked back felt a massive sense of relief um and I I never had that biological clock tick. I just never got that feeling that I want to have children. And I think that the vast majority of people that happens to them at some point absolutely never happened to me. Um, and there's really no deep and meaningful or psychological, nothing happened to me. There was no trauma. There was, I just never wanted kids. And it really is as simple as that. And I do think that sometimes that option should be presented a little bit as something that you could potentially do because as I said I just felt this sort of this is just my path I have to have children and I absolutely have nothing against children I actually quite like them I just didn't want to do that myself um and felt very free when I realized I didn't have to um yeah I mean I I I wanted you to share about that because it's just cool to have to hear all sorts of perspectives Mm -hmm. um and so, yeah, I, I just liked what you had said in our in our little time off the air. So I'm yeah. to share it with the listeners. One of the things that I was concerned about in both going through pregnancy and then also, you know, having a child was the the body changes during pregnancy. Yeah. I wasn't sure how that would affect me as somebody that's in recovery from an eating disorder myself. And I think that your your recovery was a lot more solid. And I, I, I'm thinking that probably you're going to say it didn't impact my decision at all. Um, but also I felt concerned, especially because I have a daughter, that there would be some like genetic component that, you well, know, she was kind of locked and loaded to have an eating disorder herself. But it sounds to right. me like that didn't uh, really factor in for you specifically factor into sort of being sort of motivation to recover um well for your decision to to not have children like it was kind of like oh I didn't really want to no No. not at all however um as the work of Cynthia Buick and her fellow researchers have found there is a genetic locus for anorexia nervosa and other eating disorders so eating disorders do have a genetic base therefore if you have the genetic predisposition for an eating disorder there's more chance that that genetic predisposition will also be inherited by your children. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then add in any environmental triggers, mm-hmm. which our entire culture is an environmental trigger. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. Precisely. I'm, yeah. So, I mean, that's part of why I, I was so interested to talk with you because I think that because diet culture is so much a part of everything. I mean, the shows that she watches or, um, there's even like a a baby game that we play and it has you separate like healthy food into junk food. And I like, I won't let my husband play that with her because I'm just like, I do not want her getting that messaging at home ever because she's going to get it everywhere she goes. And like I said, she, 
she doesn't even talk yet, but I know that things are going in. It's absolutely going in. It's because it's a cultural belief system. And so in the same way, if somebody is brought up in any cultural belief system, be it religion or politics, it's just absorbed by us. And so for the, all of us really who live in the Western world with this cultural bias towards thinness, by the time we are even old enough to understand how we're processing things. It's just a belief, something that we believe to be true about the world that thin is good and fat is bad. And we just believe that to be true in the same way if you are born into um, religion, a religious culture, you just believe it to be true that God exists. That's how cultural belief systems work. And that's why they're so difficult to untangle. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about kind of where your book, which is called How to Not Let an Eating Disorder Ruin Your Pregnancy. That's the book that we're mainly focusing on. Although you have you have four other books or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's right. um, and so, I mean, you can share about any of them, but that's the one that I think is most relevant for our conversation here. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious to know, and I think based on what I've, I've heard you talk about before that you're starting work with, with moms and working with pregnancy what kind of just happened organically. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it really started to happen because I'd work with somebody in recovery and um, they'd get recovered. And then that's a wonderful thing. But relatively often, a year later, I'll get an email saying, I'm pregnant. And they email me because I was their recovery coach. And they often did not have a menstrual cycle when they had an eating disorder and so that's sort of one of the things that's just part of the process is that all starts working again and so people are excited when they realize they're pregnant despite the fact I probably haven't been coaching them for a year or so at that point I usually get an email just to say I'm so excited I'm pregnant you know it's just to share that with me um and I always read that email and go oh that's so great and then part of me goes oh shit because I know what's going to come. It's that inevitable. I've worked with so many people that have recovered from an eating disorder or got themselves mostly recovered from an eating disorder. I know what happens when they get pregnant. And it's not so much actually usually the pregnancy that's the problem. It's usually the period after the pregnancy that's the problem. In fact, I have found that for a lot of people, even if they're not completely recovered when they get pregnant, Getting pregnant for a lot of people is a bit like a meal ticket. They feel that they have the permission to eat whatever they want because our culture actually allows that. It's sort of like, oh, wait a minute, your body has to look a certain way apart from when you're carrying another human and then it can be completely natural and your body's in control just for that nine months. And so a lot of women, even if they still have an eating disorder, when they get pregnant, they often relax a bit and eat. So the pregnancy part, I'm, that's usually okay. The shit hits the fan afterwards and so yeah. I always with my clients are like brilliant 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 this is great this is what you need to know <laughs> yeah and so where do you go first with them in describing how that I mean do you wait until after they've had the baby nope. and no nope. the more that okay. they can know beforehand the better because what I have and I don't know um language wise on this podcast so I'll try you can and say anything yeah okay but um it's after when that when that baby comes out, the time after that is a complete clusterfuck and people are just like don't know what's hit them. And so 
then I need to prepare them in advance so that they are ready in advance as to what's going to happen. And preferably, I like to prepare them and their partners and loved ones and family and whoever's around because other people are going to need to look out for them. Because I find that when somebody has given birth and had a child, their head is not about themselves. Their head is about everything else other than paying attention to themselves. And I think that's probably by design, don't you? That's a biological yeah, thing. Survival thing, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I can't expect them to even be aware enough to even book a session with me after or even have the time or energy to book a session with me after they've just had that child. They need to have as much information about what's going to happen to them and their bodies and where things could go wrong before as much as possible so right then as soon as they're pregnant I first of all start off with the pregnancy stuff because there are some things you have to watch out for just in the culture of such things things such as doctors giving wonderful snippets of advice such as oh well you don't have to actually gain that much weight when you're pregnant awful thing to say to somebody in eating disorder recovery like so I have to prepare them for all of these things even just things on mum's net or the like sites you know mum's site somebody will be saying well I capped up my marathon running training until I you know a month before my pregnancy not the sort of thing that a person with an eating disorder history needs to read and so I I have to um one of the things that I did while I was pregnant, like I, I was completely unaware of my, my weight changes. I just, I worked with mm-hmm. some midwives that especially near the end, like didn't even weigh me at all. But even Excellent. when I, I was being weighed, I just wouldn't look. And I just let mm-hmm. them kind of mm-hmm. take care of that. Do, do you suggest that for people ever mm-hmm. or? Yeah. yeah. And I also suggest that if, any advice that they are given regarding their weight, especially if it's like, oh, you might be gaining too much type stuff, don't pay any heed to it. You have mm-hmm. to listen to your body and eat what your body's telling you to eat. Um, I am, I do believe that the body is has an incredible amount of wisdom. And I think our body does know better than we do with this sort of thing. And I just think when your body's pregnant, if it's telling you to eat, just shut up and eat and don't listen to anybody else that tells you not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, you know, there's a, there's just, a lot around pregnancy everybody's had an opinion I'm sure that got an opinion I'm sure that you know that mm-hmm. um anybody that's been through it wants to tell you what they did in their pregnancy and you know <laughs> then and compare and all, none of that is particularly helpful I don't think for anybody let alone a person who has a history of an eating disorder or might still have one yeah and I I want to Maybe actually we can just put this in now while I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of it. I don't want to get too off track, but I, would, I do want to touch on the menstrual cycle piece. Mm-hmm. I think that that's something that people, if they're not um, as in this like eating disorder world, I mean, to me, I'm in a bunch of like hypothalamic amenorrhea groups, which all that means is the loss of your period mm-hmm. because the energy intake and the energy output isn't equal. Like there, there's basically just too much output to match with that. You're limiting the calories that you're taking in. Yeah. But, and it's, it can either come from over to moving too Mm -hmm. much, eating too little, some combination of that. There's usually stress involved also. So just for anybody that's listening, that's, that's not so familiar with this sort of dynamic that can happen for sure in eating disorders, but even with just kind of like, I'm, I guess I'm being kind of careful about how I'm wording it, that I, I want to be clear that I'm not saying disordered eating 
isn't a problem. It is a problem. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if you have disordered eating and this sort of like attachment to exercising that potentially it could be impacting your period and maybe it's not the complete loss of your period, but it could be, you know, any number of things that occur around your menstrual cycle could potentially be related to under eating and or over exercising. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you can just talk about that piece and how it's related to recovery and, and how, yeah, maybe just, just start there. Right. So lack loss of the menstrual cycle is usually going to be a problem of what term energy deficit which is what you've described it's for a prolonged period of time your energy needs are not being met what happens when you don't meet your energy needs for a prolonged period of time is the body tries to look for ways to save energy to spend less energy and sometimes if we think of energy as money it makes more sense you know you don't have enough money coming in so you're going to start cancelling subscriptions and turn the lights off a bit more and so our body looks around and it says well what can i how can i save energy what can i cancel that's going to be one of the first things to go. You know, your body's, body believes you're in a famine. There's not enough food coming in. This is not the right time to make babies, is it? And so it's like, well, we're going to cancel that subscription to the menstrual cycle. And that's how it lowers metabolism because that's what the body needs to do. And that's what lowering metabolism is, is your body shutting things down so that it gets to spend less energy. And so that's going to be for women at least, a very common effect of energy deficit, of not eating enough to cover your needs. Um, it doesn't happen, and this is where it can get a little bit confusing, is all of our bodies are different. And because of our genetics, because of the way our bodies have evolved, given our genetic lines and the history of our genetic lines, some people's bodies don't shut off the menstrual cycle particularly early. Some people's bodies, that's the first thing to go, you know, is really early on. The body's like, right, I'm putting a halt to that. We're not doing that anymore. I've known some people that have been in a very serious prolonged energy deficit and they've still got a menstrual cycle going. So I just say that because you can't actually use that as a gauge to say whether or not you're in energy deficit. By no means can you use that as a gauge. I've also known people who have pretty severe restriction and eating disorders who get pregnant. So it, it absolutely can happen. That's kind of where I wanted to go with it too, that I think, I know for me, it was kind of like, oh, if you can get pregnant, you know, you're kind of at this, no. this stage. And I think that in these, in hearing other women talk about their journey through hypothalamic amenorrhea, usually related a lot of them have a very strong exercise addiction which I know was yep. something that you struggled with also Absolutely. and usually there's some um, diet culture like perspectives mm -hmm. around like trying to eat clean or really mm -hmm. healthy I'm using quotation marks in case mm -hmm. anybody's wondering um because those terms are kind of bullshit but um they're they're kind of like the new diet culture is mixed in with this like wellness diet of um and I'm an acupuncturist so I'm right inundated yep, with right this in kind of stuff all mm -hmm. the time um but yeah I, th I think that they a lot of them and myself included are find that they're you know they get pregnant and then they're just like oh well my body's healthy it's functioning Absolutely really well not. I was able to carry this child to term they're perfectly healthy and so yeah I think that that's something that I just kind of want to illuminate on the podcast that mm -hmm. And this isn't to like shame anybody or make anybody feel bad, but just to kind of open the discussion around like that's that doesn't necessarily 
mean that everything's great because bodies are really, really resilient and babies can grow in a really, I don't want to say that, um, in a not so ideal environment. (laughs) I was going to say something a little more negative, but And it works, it works the other way. So a lot of the time somebody will have lost their menstrual cycle and then they start recovery. And that might be one of the first things to come back. And I'm always like, well, clap, clap we're on the right path, you're not done. That doesn't mean that's not the end of the road. A lot of people like to think, oh, I got my, I got my period back, I'm done. It's like, nah, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> so it really does not, it does signify energy deficit, but it also does not signify the depth of energy deficit in any way. It does not signify your recovery from energy deficit when you get it back either. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think that it's, it's also... Um, something that I've been thinking about a lot is sort of like uh, over time, uh, long-term health sort of things that like, yay, you can, you can get pregnant, you can sustain a pregnancy, have a healthy baby. But then you also, I mean, depending on how you choose to feed your child, um, not that there's any judgment around that, but it, it could be more or less depleting for your body. Oh, no, absolutely. And this is a very serious thing for people to understand is that if you, if you are restricting food, if you are not making ends meet in terms of your energy requirements, if you are eating less than your body requires, then your body has to make up that gap and it will make up that gap from somewhere. And how it does that is it leaches energy from your organs, your tissues, your bones. It leaches energy from everywhere it can. So it has been shown that for a person in energy deficit, we lose gray matter. Our bodies convert brain cells into energy so that it can use it to keep us going. Most people with eating disorders to restrict for uh, over a year, it's something like 25% of your gray matter can can be lost. Now that gets replenished as you come out of energy deficit, but it is really important to understand because especially if say you manage to get pregnant, you can kid yourself, I'm fine. This is working. It isn't, you're not getting away with anything. Every single day that you are not eating enough to meet your needs, your body is compensating for that by taking it out of your bones and your brain and your organs and your heart and your lungs and your skin and all these other places, because it is like, if we go back to the money thing, you have to make ends meet. If you don't have enough money to pay your bills, you have to borrow money. And that's what our body does when it's an energy deficit. Your body might be prioritizing reproduction for whatever reason, it's genetic history, it's evolution history, all of those things. That body might prioritize reproduction, but it's doing that at the expense of a lot of other things if you are not eating enough food. And that is where I feel that people really kind of kid themselves into thinking they're doing okay just because they got pregnant or they got their menstrual cycle, or even because they can still go for their run every day. You know, your body, that energy that you are taking out of your body is coming from somewhere. Yeah. And so um, one of the things that I, was surprising to me. And then I definitely want to hear you talk about too, which I'm sure this is, this is kind of where you go when you were talking about, you know, meeting with clients during their pregnancy before Mm -hmm. they have the baby, but preparing them for the postpartum period, um, was the insane, insatiable hunger associated with breastfeeding. I don't, I have personally only 
um, breastfed. I, she's, I only have one daughter. And so um, I can't speak to, maybe that happens with anybody that gives birth because it is such a marathon of going through this whole pregnancy. And like I said, like how much repair needs to happen. So maybe this is true for anybody that gives birth, um, whether or not they choose to breastfeed. But I'm just interested in like how you can prepare them for that. Because for me, people, my midwives were saying during my pregnancy, like, oh, you're going to have to increase by this much. And it, it just kind of felt like this math yeah. problem um, that because it wasn't based on like my lived experience, it, it didn't um, really sink in until I was living it. And like, yeah. holy shit, this is so much more than I could have ever imagined. Do you, do you find that that happens with the people that you, the women that you work with? Also, mm -hmm. or so what I really anybody that I've been working with, I sort of coached them that during the pregnancy part, you actually you need to gain weight. You actually want to get fat stores. They're going to get used when you're breastfeeding, and I do think that's why in pregnancy bodies have a tendency to gain weight because the body is really really smart and it knows what's coming and it knows it's going to need that energy and so I see that pregnancy weight as like it's your nest egg for the breastfeeding part it is your stores it's a bit like if you it's a bit like you're saving up to go on holiday you're starting to put more into the savings account because you know you're going to spend it that's what our bodies or people's bodies are doing wanting to do when they're pregnant and that's why I hate any advice of oh don't don't you don't want to gain too much weight when you're pregnant because I just think you know what the body knows what it's doing if it wants to gain weight just let it because it's got a load of stuff that's going to come when that baby's out and so the other thing that I like to talk to people about is morning sickness because that can put you on the back foot in terms of getting those stores saving into that bank account if you go through morning sickness and a lot of people with eating disorders will sort of use morning sickness as an excuse not to eat as much as they know that they really should you've got to be very aware of that and you've got to do everything that you can to make sure that you are eating enough despite morning sickness um, and so you don't because otherwise you can be in the later stages of your pregnancy you can be on the back foot in terms of actually saving up and storing that energy that you're going to need to use once that baby's out. And so I usually start there because that can happen. And then really when a person, once that baby has come out, then like I said, it's a bit of a clusterfuck. There's a heck of a lot of stress that's going on. There's not enough sleep going on. There's this sort of baby going on. And that's a big deal suddenly having a baby. So I, I don't want to do it because it's a big deal. That's exactly why I do not want to do it. I cannot imagine having a baby, especially a newborn one, and your brain just zoning in on that baby and feeling like this is all I have to do right now and filtering out everything else. So that happens in the brain once you've had a baby. Um, and then if a person is able to breastfeed, then that places a huge energetic demand on the body. And you've got all of these things happening at once, lack of sleep, massive energetic demand on the body, a baby, higher stress levels. And also just the way that the brain goes into this hyper-awareness state, which again, has to be biological, that sort of protective hyper-awareness. It's almost like you're functioning in a slightly higher gear because that's what you would need to do. in if you were in a hostile environment, 
remember our bodies have evolved over thousands of years. It's been quite comfortable recently, you know, in modern history, but it wouldn't have been so comfortable before. So you would have had to be very vigilant and hyper aware. And that is just our body functioning in a higher gear than it would normally function in. If your body is functioning in a higher gear, be it due to hyper awareness, be it due to stress or anything, higher gears use more fuel. And so you're burning more fuel all the time in that period after having had a baby. And that is where people fail to eat enough to meet their needs. And then the rug can really get pulled out from underneath you because you have all of those stressors happening at the same time. The last thing that your body needs is a biological stress of not having enough food to meet its needs. And biological stress is really a very important type of stress as far as the body is concerned. If your body is not getting enough energy coming in to meet its needs, it's going to be massively stressed about that. And that filters into every part of our life. We just turn into more irritable people, more less able to cope people. And that's where it starts to spiral downwards. Yeah. Um, and one thing I'm curious about too, is that I think, especially if you're somebody that has like some disordered eating, whether it's like a actually diagnosed eating disorder or disordered eating, under eating. Um, and then you go into this sort of energy deficit, which may be unintentional because you're just, you're like kind yep. of stressed and you're like, yep. a lot of I the time, eat? a lot of the time it really is at that point, because I have clients that are brilliant. They're fully recovered, no intention of restricting, no intention of going back to their eating disorder. They've been recovered for a number of years. If they have a baby, the shit hits the fan just because it's their life has blown up and their brain is not focused on them. And because they have that genetic predisposition, if they go into energy deficit with all of those things, breastfeeding, lack of sleep, heightened state of awareness, it's a, it's just a beautiful sort of recipe for energy deficit. Then that's when those eating disorder genetics can kick off again. And a lot of them are completely flawed by it. They do know what they didn't see it coming. It takes them by surprise. Yeah. I mean, and I think what's, what's been so interesting about me reading through some of your work and I, I mean, I haven't gone through everything, but what you talk about, which is different from a lot of the other things that I've been exposed to over the years is this sort of more biological perspective that mm -hmm. like, once you get into energy deficit, then it sort of like wakes up the, these yep. like eating disorder behaviors it's the genetic predisposition it's like any genetic predisposition you have the genetic predisposition for cancer skin cancer however you have to go out in the sun mm -hmm. for a certain period of time you have to have certain conditions to kick it off it's the same we know there's a genetic predisposition for eating disorders we also know that it's energy deficit that kicks it off the degree of energy deficit varies for, by mm -hmm. the person but it is energy deficit that kicks it off and that is the big thing to understand is really you can't go into energy deficit if you have the predisposition for an eating disorder you cannot go into energy deficit and like i said that postpartum period is just the best recipe for energy deficit yeah and i mean i think that 
then it basically makes it even harder. Like if you, if you happen to find yourself in energy deficit, even unintentionally, then the eating disorder behaviors become more and more attractive to you. Right. That's because your brain starts to reward you for doing anything that would suppress your body weight. That's basically what those genetics kick off is you start to actually get a reward in your brain for getting into even deeper energy deficit. And so that's why we need to avoid that energy deficit. We need to avoid that genetic reaction kicking off at all so that otherwise you just spiral downwards. Um, the other thing that I do think is important to note about that time just after giving birth is also um, our culture and social media and the whole sort of like get rid of the baby weight theme, which to me is just ridiculously stupid. If you think about it, when you think about it from a biological perspective, your body just saved up that weight for a reason. It's got it. It's there for a reason. It's there so it can survive the postpartum period. And yet, as soon as that baby's out, everyone's like, we've got to get rid of it. That's like saving for holiday and then spending all your money in the airport. You know, like, you know, it's there for a reason. You don't need to get rid of it. Your body is going to spend it. Um, and it's a really awful cultural thing. And you sort of see people out with their babies in the pram or buggy whatever you call it running their legs off because they're trying to get rid of that damn baby weight and I'm just like don't do that no your body needs your energy right now <laughs> you just need to rest and look after the baby that's all your job is well and, and I I think that one of the things that is overlooked a lot about getting in enough nutrition is how much it affects your mental health. And I'm not sure if this is true for every single person in the world, but I know for sure for people with eating disorders, I mean, people use this term like hangry for people when, when they get angry. Every single person in the world. Yeah. Our brains run on energy. If you do not have enough energy, every single organ, every single system in your body is affected, including your brain. And like I talked about before, if your body is not having its energy needs being met, it's under biological stress. Food, water, oxygen are the three substances that our bodies need to survive. If any one of those goes into energy deficit or energy deficit or deficit at all, be it water or oxygen, that is a massive and immediate stressor for the body. And so, of course, that biological stress will affect your mental state. Of course, you're going to be irritable. Your body is panicking. Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, being around little babies or children, depending on the, you know, sort of type of child that you have, if they're um, pretty calm, or if they're a little bit more needy, if they're crying, I mean, which some of this stuff is just inevitable. It's just part of having a baby that there's some tears, sometimes there's some tantrums. And I, I mean, I just know for myself that you know, if I'm a little bit undernourished, I'm, I'm not as resilient in the face of some of those stressors, which to think about like the type of mother that you want to be, whoever wants to be that how much the way that you're nourishing yourself can impact your ability to, to face those challenges that only become more challenging as children get mm -hmm. older. And there's, there's just different kinds of stressors that manifest. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's something that's just kind of overlooked that it's like, oh, mommy's got to go out and go for a run and eat right. salads and whatever. And she's like pissed off all the time and 
you know, postpartum depression, anxiety. Absolutely. I think that people don't talk I, enough about how absolutely. diet. Absolutely. I, I yeah. do think the mental health part is very much affected by energy deficit and by just the stress that our bodies and brains are under when we do not have enough fuel. It's the same as the stress you're under if you lose your job and you can't pay your bills. It's stressful not to have enough energy. And also what one of the things that um, I don't think I've seen anything that, that you've talked about this specifically, but body image, um, both postpartum and, and otherwise, I think postpartum is a challenging time for a lot of women because your body is just so different from what it's ever mm -hmm. been mm -hmm. like before. Um, so that's something probably you prepare people mm -hmm. for Absolutely. and talk about before. But um, also in when you're in energy deficit and some of these eating disordered behaviors are coming back, one of them is your perception of your your body can kind mm -hmm. of shift. I don't know if that's true for everybody, but it's not true for everybody, but mm -hmm. it is true for a percentage. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's just something that has been helpful to hear at times that that's part of the right. And really what I just say to people is if you're in energy deficit, if you have an eating disorder or whatever, if you're in energy deficit, you basically can't trust your own opinion about your body. And you have to get used to that idea that you're going to have an opinion about your body, but you've just got to brush it off because your, your opinion will be disordered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see if there's anything. Is there anything else that you specifically wanted to share that I haven't asked you about that you think would be relevant to this kind of conversation? Yeah, so I think that really in that preparation for having a baby part of that preparation if you have a history of eating disorder or even honestly if you don't is if you are able to bringing partner family friends into the picture because like I said your brain's not going to necessarily be able to focus on you it's sort of by design I think that when somebody gives birth their brain just focuses on the child that they give but given birth to and that child's needs come in priority to your own so in a sense what you have to do is you have to set other people up to watch out for you and you have to also sort of have a bit of a deal with yourself that if someone says to you you haven't eaten enough today you don't argue with them you shut up and you sit down and you eat more food because if somebody is saying that to you they're not saying it to you for any other reason then they don't think you ate enough and if they don't think you ate enough you probably didn't and we all kind of often have a tendency to to argue and bicker when we are in energy deficit your tendency to say I ate enough today you don't know how much I ate is very high and so that's why you sort of have to have that contract with yourself you know if someone says to me I need to eat more I'm not going to argue I'm going to shut up and I'm going to eat more what about people that have um a lot of diet culture messages around them whether they follow mm -hmm. that on social media or if it's like other family members that are like I don't know, say it's like their mother and they're like, oh, you gained so much weight in pregnancy. Yeah, like, so, and, and that's, it's kind of like, that's a bit of a big conversation and it's a large part of what I'm doing when I coach with somebody is I'm helping them understand the belief systems in place and the fundamental belief system that our culture has is the belief that weight gain is a negative thing or fear of weight gain or the belief that thin is good and fat is bad. And so it's like with any belief system, once you understand it, you can identify it not only in yourself, but in other people as well. So it's a bit like, for example, if you grew up 
in a religious family or a family who's politically one way or the other. And then you just went along believing that. And then you get to your thirties and you're in, actually, I don't know if I believe that or not. You start to explore other alternatives and then you might change your belief system. You might start to not believe in that religion or you might change your political affliction. Now, when you go and talk to your family and they say things like, well, you know, like, because my mother is my mother is Christian she's religious and I'm not and you know she'll say something to me like oh well you know that's a miracle God did that and what my head does when she says that is it just sort of interprets that's her belief I don't actually believe that like my brain there's an interpretation there I can see that as oh she said that because she believes in God that's her belief I don't need to get involved in that I don't need to argue with her I'm just going to let her have that belief, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to start questioning whether I believe in God or not again, just because she said that. And so that's what we tend to do. We do it with politics all the time. You might have friends that have a different political belief to you. If they say something that is against your political beliefs, if you've got any sense, you won't necessarily get into a big argument with them at that time. You'll just go like, oh yeah, well, they're, they, you know, that's their belief. And I actually don't believe that I, you know, we agree to differ on that one. And so that's really what we do with belief systems. And once you've identified that cultural belief system, that fear of weight gain, once you've addressed it within your own self, then you can actually start to see it in the culture around as you'll see it in other people. And that means that when someone says to you, this, that, or the other, you shouldn't be eating that, you just kind of filter it with that. Oh, that's your belief system. And I'm not involved in that. And that's how you actually become trigger proof. And then that person wouldn't be your um, first choice for a support person. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. You know, one other thing that popped into my head was at, with older children, you know, maybe like, I don't know exactly when they start doing this, but maybe like three to like seven, I don't know when it would stop actually, but kids that want to pick things off of their parents' plates because they're mm-hmm. like other people's belongings are more interesting or more appealing um if a yeah if somebody in recovery has that going on and is having trouble I don't know just do you ever find that that's a, an issue with any of the clients that you've worked with that you know having their their kids picking at their plates impacts them at all like if they can't make that up at another time or do you kind of just guide them to make it up in another way and yeah, absolutely to and really what I'm always my philosophy for eating disorder recovery and actually not just eating disorder recovery is eating without restriction unrestricted mm-hmm. eating and that's a lifelong thing and um, I do believe that it is restriction that leads to the tendency to actually want to eat more you know when your body when your brain thinks something is off limits it just wants it more ultimately if you eat without restriction long term what you end up with is a naturally balanced diet and if you're listening to your body if your kid eats half your plate of food then you're just going to eat more later like it's just not a problem Mm -hmm. and so coaching people towards and helping people understand unrestricted eating and actually having that relationship with their body is really sort of the fundamental thing there to stopping any of that being a problem. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So at this point, if you want to share about where people can find you and what sort of offerings you have right now, I don't know if you're still doing coaching. um, And then also if you can just repeat the title of your book too. So yeah, um, the book was called, I never remember it, How to Not Let an Eating Disorder Ruin Your Pregnancy. And um, 
I literally wrote that because it was like, I get so many clients that book in with me when they're pregnant. And I was just saying to one client, you know, this stuff is so sort of like, it's so common, like going into energy deficit and then the resulting eating disorder after pregnancy is so common. Someone should write a book about it. And then she was like, well, that would be you, wouldn't it? And then I was like, well, I I haven't been pregnant. You know, like, but then I was like, I've spoken to thousands of pregnant people at this point. So, yeah. Um, But also, I would like to say that you don't have to have had a history of an eating disorder to actually have those eating disorder genetics, because you could have had them and you've never gone into energy deficit yet. So they haven't sparked off. And so it's not just people with a history of eating disorders that should be aware of this. It really isn't because anybody can have those genetics and then you could go into energy deficit after giving birth and then the shit really hits the fan. And a lot of my clients are in their 30s, 40s and 50s. And a lot of my clients didn't have an eating disorder until after they had a child. And that's when their eating disorder developed. And a lot of my clients, I might speak to them and that child might be 10, 15, 18 years old at that point, And they've had an eating disorder ever since. Wow. So, yeah. Um, but so yeah I do eating disorder recovery coaching um and my website is tabithafarrar.com and I have lots of free resources on there so I have blogs um podcasts and youtube videos and they're awesome I've been going through all of them and they're it's it's a really really great great resource and so I'll link to your website and then you can pretty much get to everything from your website is that right yes I okay. believe so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then if not, I I'll look and see if your YouTube channel is linked through there. Cause that, that is really great. There's just like short little videos where you answer listener questions. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even if you're not somebody that has a diagnosed eating disorder, they're so, so relevant to just living right. in this culture, in this diet culture and how afraid of fatness we are yeah. as a culture and so. I would like to say that um, the majority of people in my opinion who have eating disorders are not diagnosed yeah yeah that I mean because it's so normalized eating it's disorder. so normalized plus it's so stereotyped the majority of people that I speak to didn't even develop their eating disorder till after they were 18, you know, and the stereotype is you develop your eating disorder when you're 13 and that you have to be female, which a lot of my clients are male. Um, and so it's so, so stereotyped that I think that even clinicians and doctors, if they see somebody that comes in, who's, you know, 35 and male, they're not even on the lookout for an eating disorder. And sometimes to me, it just seems like it's screaming them in the face. You know, somebody who comes in and they're 30 and they haven't had their period for however long and they run all of the time and don't eat enough. Yet they're still not going to get diagnosed with an eating disorder. And the doctors are all going like, oh, oh, I wonder why you haven't got your menstrual cycle. Let's try and find out. Let's (laughs) do all of these like totally unnecessary tests. Unnecessary things just to find out where it's like screamingly obvious. Um, I know it is. Yeah, it's really important. Yeah, the majority of my clients are not diagnosed either, not clinically, you know, and so I think that eating disorders are far more prevalent than any sort of the statistics um, would know that they are because in order to be included in the statistic you have to have been diagnosed yeah right exactly Mm -hmm. 
Well, thank you so much for being here today. Um, I really, I think everybody's going to really enjoy what you had to share. I know that I did. So, um, so thank you. Again. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you feel so called, please give us a rating and a review so other people can find the podcast more easily. Thanks again. Till next time.